Hey, this is Carl Leader, author of Boss, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Carl Reeder. Carl is a founder, advisor, entrepreneur, and investor who speaks to small business audiences, helping them understand that business isn't difficult. It's hard work, but it isn't difficult. Carl lives in Hungerford, England, and is here to talk about his book, Fawcett, Control Your Time, Control Your Income, and Control Your Life. Welcome, Carl. Bill, it's an absolute pleasure to join you. It's great to have you on. When you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Wow, that's a great question because there are a number of people, as I'm sure we'd all have. But for me, it would have to be my dad. I guess like most boys, we always look up to our parents. And I was always fascinated by his work ethic. He was a working class man. He didn't have any particular high flying career or anything. But the fact that he provided for our family day in, day out, that was inspirational to me. The reliability, the consistency, and the caring makes such a big difference. Absolutely. When you were meeting other people, maybe one of your early management jobs or hiring people as an entrepreneur, can you remember some of the lessons or the values that your dad conveyed to you coming through in a decision you made or an interaction you had with somebody? Sure. So I'm actually the world's worst manager. I like to use Michael E. Gerber's principle of entrepreneur manager technician to divide up my multiple personalities. And I certainly sit um, more towards entrepreneur and technician than I would manager. However, one of the lessons that my father gave me was that whenever I meet somebody, I should keep their details. And at the time, if we were to rewind 20, 30 years when he would tell me this advice, it was faxes rather than iPhone. We didn't even have Palm Pilots then. But he said, you know, always keep details of everybody you meet in a filofax. And that has actually been the biggest lesson that I've had in my whole career. By keeping the contact details of people that I meet, I've built up my network. And through my network, I've um, appeared on TV, multiple uh, you know, newspaper interviews and so on, just by keeping on top of my network, keeping in touch with them. And it's the lesson that I try to share with my employees as well. Give me an example of how you convey the importance of keeping a network and tracking people and not just doing it to add entries to your Rolodex or online address book, but really to build relationships with people and keep those details prominent. How do you explain that? Sure. It's all about authenticity. Ultimately, what I found, certainly in scaling my businesses, is that you need to lead from the top. You need to live by example. You need to live and breathe the culture that you expect your team to live and breathe. You can't dictate these things to them. You can't even tell them to do it. Ultimately, you need to have that bleeding through you. So by living it myself and not relying on a CRM system or anything like this, but actually having a genuine human interest in the people that I meet, having a genuine human interest and that level of care about what's going on in their world, getting to know them, getting to know the names of their kids, where they go on holiday, get to know their hobbies. That kind of passion for other people then just permeates out of everything that I do. And in turn, my team pick up on the importance of that. Look, we as a society, Bill, are going through a change in that I think that many businesses have been obsessed by automation 
and systemization and process and removing the human element from what we do. But I'm a big believer that business is no longer B2B or B2C. It's actually H to H, human to human. So from that perspective, we need to be creating and maintaining those relationships with every individual that we meet. What's your practice today with how you cultivate those leads after you meet someone, after you look to find out what their interests are? How do you cultivate that in order to let them know you're thinking of them and looking to be helpful? So it's a whole lot different today with COVID. So currently in the UK, as I speak, we are in lockdown number three and human relationships have been a whole lot more difficult recently than they ever have been. But let's talk about business as usual, because business as usual will come back at some point. I'm a big believer that there needs to be a combination of online and offline activity. Whilst I use social media to top up relationships and top up that, I guess the emotional bank account between myself and somebody else, I generally like to complement that with meeting people in real life and seeing the whites of their eyeballs, sharing a bottle of wine or a coffee and really getting to know them. Now, I think that in in terms of that's something that we each as individuals want to do more and more, particularly as we're now living in the stay-at-home economy. We can quite easily get through a day without speaking to anybody else. We could be in self-driving cars rather than taxis. We can be in, we can watch Netflix rather than in cinema. We can be using Uber Eats rather than going to a restaurant. So we're in a very strange environment now. And at heart, we are human-to-human societal beings. So I try to make sure that I, I keep a level of communication, but also reciprocity and try to help my network. And it's not about just lodging numbers in the Rolodex or LinkedIn connections. It's about truly getting to know people, getting to understand what motivates them and looking for opportunities to serve. Carl, give me an example of a recent interaction you've had, because I think a lot of people may not be able to think about in concrete terms how important it is to stay connected and how it is to adapt. Because I think that many of us did operate businesses before the rise of the internet and things became so online focused. And those skills that were developed with actually building relationships, showing interest, following up and being helpful to others play even more of a prominent role today because of the pandemic lockdown. Bill, let me tell you about a conversation that I've had recently with an event organizer called Sam. Now, Sam is somebody who I knew pre COVID. And obviously during COVID, Sam's business has been absolutely decimated. They've not been able to run their face-to-face events and they had events scheduled this year, which have now unfortunately needed to be postponed until the year after. The reason why the human contact that Sam and I had was so important was, first of all, Sam trusted me to share this information before sharing it with exhibitors and any other keynote speaker. But more, let's drill underneath why they had that level of trust. It was because we had met regularly face-to-face. And whilst speaker booker might be somebody that a speaker would just have on email terms or with an agent in between. I would meet Sam for coffee. I would meet Sam for dinner. I would help them shape their conference, all free of charge and all in the spirit of giving back so that the attendees got the most. During COVID, I helped Sam virtualize what he was doing. So I helped create a virtual webinar. I really looked to give where I could. And what that's done is it's meant that the strength of the relationship between Sam and I is at such a point that actually I'm at the top of the booking list for a keynote speaker. No, but I'm going to turn up and deliver 110%. But also they know that I'm somebody reliable to be called on should things go wrong. It's such a difference to be able to do that by example rather 
than just by words. Everyone can say by words that would be that kind of reliable and helpful and involved in the business relationship, even when there's no business to discuss. But to be able to do it and have a positive presence in other people's lives is surely a really strong way to make that statement through your actions, not just your words. Absolutely right. As you know, we are judged by actions, not by words. And I very much had the approach throughout my career and many turn my businesses, but actually I need to give first and then take the rewards afterwards. It's much like they say about dressing for the job that you want, not the job that you've got. And I guess this is just a, a slight adaptation of that in that you want to act for the job that you are rather than the job that you've got. So true. Now, Carl, you've and run many businesses. And one of the things that popped out of the book was the four different types of reasons that people start a business. And this is from a survey that the software company Keep did, where they asked hundreds of business owners why they started their business. And they said that it came down to four areas in general. They were passion creators, freedom seekers, legacy builders, and struggling survivors. When you think back to one of the early businesses that you founded, what was your purpose? What drove you to start that business? And then we'll compare it to where you are today with what drives you. Sure. So I would love to say passionate creator. However, if I was to rewind back to before I actually started my career, I left high school at the age of 15 and started an apprenticeship in hairdressing that didn't go too well. I had a very humble upbringing, as I alluded to when I touched on my dad's story. We were a very working class. I grew up in a council estate, which is the equivalent of the projects in the US. And really, the odds were stacked against me insofar as having any chance of success in the business world. In fact, in the employment world, having left school early and before my qualifications. So for me, it was where I fall on the scale of business owners. You could call it struggling survivor. I just wanted to make damn sure that my kids had a better upbringing than I did. Because whilst I was happy, we certainly could have done with a few more pounds splashing around. I think a lot of people can relate to that, wanting to build a better life for yourself and for your family. And there's nothing like really having a purpose that drives you. Now, you're talking still with business owners day in and day out in your firm. Can you describe what are the symptoms that some of the business owners and entrepreneurs have who want to grow successful businesses have? when they reach out to your firm, D&T? Sure. So whilst I'm not involved so actively in client work nowadays, the symptoms haven't changed. And I summarized them in my book, Bosset. And that is that most businesses fail due to a failure in one of these four areas. They fail to have a robust dream. Now, often business owners will have a dream that is unmotivational and doesn't get them out of bed or is just so abstract that it's not realistic. They fail to plan. And I don't mean a formal business plan that's put together for a venture capital company or an angel investor or a bank. They're a tactical operational plan of step-by-step -step what they're going to do. They fail to take action. And perhaps most importantly, but I have to say the boring side of it, they fail to review and adapt as necessary, particularly during COVID. So it's generally one of those four areas where a business isn't doing so well. Now, DNT, we do have a specialism in franchising, and often in franchising, this manifests itself as a failure at the review stage and a failure to keep on top of the performance of franchisees, which naturally funnels into the performance of franchisors. What are the ways that you coach people in order to help them become better at that review and coaching people to better performance? Is it more in their own daily routines? Is it having the courage to ask the questions? Is it the tactical ways that they need to help people structure 
their business in order to get more value from it. But most business owners know the issues that are there. They just don't necessarily want to admit them. And the reality is that most business owners know the operations of their business. They know the processes that are needed and so on much better than I ever could. It's what they're experiencing. However, there are a couple of methods that I believe effective consultants would use to, to try and elicit the problem and then understand how best to solve it. So the first is through effective questioning. If you ask the right questions, you can get a business owner to identify what the limiting factors are within their business. You can get the business owner to identify what the challenges are and to really crystallize where the problem is within the business. The second thing is where, where a consultant can then truly add value. Once uh, the issues have been identified through effective questioning and the business owner has actually partly established the answer themselves is to then provide a helicopter third-party view and to have an oversight of what's going on and to be looking for bottlenecks, duplications, and so on. And nine times out of 10, that process solves the problem for a business owner. And believe you me, this is something that business owners can do themselves. If this process, if a business owner was to sit there with their drink of choice and to completely free their mind, it is something that they can go through and question themselves. But often business owners find it very difficult to extract themselves from their day-to-day distractions and also their preconceived ideas. Ideas. That's where a skilled advisor can really help get them into that headspace through effective questioning to get to that answer. Can you share an example of a business leader you work with and how they came to have an insight or breakthrough through you having this kind of conversation? Yeah, of course. So let me share with you a very basic example. So it's not a very big business and yeah, it's a guy called Stuart, runs a martial arts school. And he's got three locations, trains children between the ages of about five to 15, if this gives you an idea of the kind of business that he would run. And yeah, he'd have them in a class for about an hour. He'll be teaching them punching, kicking, discipline, the tenets of the martial arts, etc. Now, one of the preconceived ideas within the martial arts world, actually, is that bigger is better. But it's all about taking on new students. However, it was struggling and there was always more month than money. And he didn't quite understand where the challenges were within his business. Through a conversation and asking him the question, Sherry, put, put him a questions back to him. Where are the challenges in your business? If you had a magic wand, what would you do? Et cetera, et cetera. We established that there was a disconnect between his personal goals and what he believed his business goals were. In that his personal goals were about spreading the art. However, the business goals were about commercializing the art. And actually, the two worked against each other. So we first had to get some congruence between that personal desire to uh, live the martial artist dream and the business desire of growing a bigger business. We then had to get to nuts and bolts and commercialize the business. So we looked at revenue levers. We looked at the pricing. Was the pricing correct? Was he packaging up appropriately? What was his mechanisms for new student attraction? Most importantly, what were his tools for student retention? That was something that he let slip because he was focusing on new students rather than existing students. And through that, we we ultimately ended up multiplying his profit by about five times, which was life-changing for him. Because the more that you have profit, the more that you could spread your message. You really don't have ambition without the money. Absolutely. Because the reality is, had he carried on just attempting to take on students with no real focus on profitability and no real focus on where his personal mindset was, he would have continued to have a divergent path where he'd be conflicted. Part of him 
would want to be running the business, believing falsely that it's threading the martial art, but the other part would be disgruntled by the attrition of students. But secondly, he wouldn't be able to spend so much time because, quite frankly, he would have had to have got a job. He would have had to have got a nine to five and just teach in the evenings. So by going through this, we were able to make sure that both his personal and business desires were aligned, but also that it was giving him a very good return so that he could continue doing it. That is so true. Carl, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best Lightning Round? Absolutely. So at the beginning of the interview, I asked you about a person who was influential growing up. When you were a teenager, what's a song that you loved? Wow. So this one will not have been heard by any of your audience. I can almost guarantee that. So they'll need to search it on Spotify. MB featuring General Levy, Incredible, released in 1994. You're still in charge of overseeing the business as chairman, D&T, as well as helping other people be successful in their business. What's the most effective way that you get the word out about your mission each week? Okay, so that is um, through my columns in the national press. I've been in every national newspaper in the UK. It's through my radio slots, TV appearances, and in normal days, not COVID days, through my keynote sessions. What's the best $100 or £100 purchase you've made in the last six months? So I've got one that's a little bit more than that, but it is so valuable that I'm going to share it anyway. It's the Aura Ring. The Aura Ring is like a Fitbit. However, it monitors your sleep patterns, but it also monitors your heart rate variability and your body temperature. Now, the reason why that's so valuable and is a little bit more expensive than your than your limit, but please bear with me, is with COVID, we can never be too careful. And this will pick up the early signs of temperature rising. So if I notice my temperature is increasing in my sleep, I can self-isolate and make sure that um, nobody else is put at risk. That's terrific. Carl, tell me, how did you get 90,000 Twitter followers with less than a dozen people who you follow? Persistence. So I've got about 170,000 across all of my social media platforms. I get involved on social media platforms at the very beginning of the curve. So I've kissed a lot of frogs to get there and I engage with my followers. I try to get to know them. And really, I work alongside major brands as well to help them amplify what they do, but they also help me amplify the messages that I'm sharing. How do you define success personally? Well, I think personal success is happiness. It's as simple as that. It's not an amount in the bank. It's not a amount of time that you work or don't work. I retired two years ago. That didn't work for me. I achieved the boyhood dream of taking over a soccer club. That didn't work for me. It's about happiness. And I think that's the path that we're all on and we're all looking for. And what are two or three things that make you happy? Activities that you devote your time and energy to that just bring you to that state of happiness. Family time, watching soccer, espresso, collecting sneakers, and watching boxing. Fabulous. And now here's my less is more question. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? So that's a tricky one because there were habits that I'd stopped, which I um, picked up again during lockdown, such as overeating. In, in normal times, I'd say overeating. Over the last year, the most important habit that I've stopped is it's actually going to be eating outside of my intermittent fasting window. I've started IF and trying to Having observed the fact that I was eating through lockdown as a comfort, I've now restricted that eating between 12 p.m. and 6 p.m. And I found that's helped me massively with my sleep and also helped me just to maintain weight. Fabulous. Now, Carl, a lot of people who are reading the book, Fawcett, and interested in scaling their business have misconceptions about the benefit of it. Probably quite similar to Stuart, who was running martial arts and was thinking that the only way he could be successful is if he scaled, but doing it poorly was actually driving him broke. 
What are some of the most common misconceptions that people who are looking to scale their business from something small to something larger are making? And let's discuss one or two. Sure. So the first one is that scaling a business is easy, that they believe that they want to scale their business to, let's say, a 20, 30, 40 million turnover business, and they want to retire on a beach. Now, suppliers, you can't do the two of those at the same time, despite what the internet gurus tell you. Everything we read on the internet is not true. No, not true at all. These make a hundred thousand pounds in 90 days and all of this nonsense from the get rich quick gurus it's why i do what i do because there's a practical reality that scaling a business is hard work and there's a number of other misconceptions would you like me to share those sure let's run down two or three and then let's come back to an example of someone who scaled successfully rather than based on myth perfect so the second one is that people tend to believe that scaling a business is beyond them that they haven't got the ability or the education to do it and the reality is that scaling a business does require require effort, it requires money, it requires resilience, but it doesn't require academic knowledge and it it doesn't actually require pots of your own cash. It requires the conviction in your model and and actually the ability to persuade investors to fund what you do. And then I guess the third risk or myth of, of scaling is that sometimes people feel that they can scale an unscalable business. There are some businesses that just simply cannot scale because they're too dependent on the owner of the business. They want to be involved with every customer or they want to touch every product. And the reality is if you're going to scale a business, you need to scale it beyond yourself. The proof of a truly scalable business is when you get to the second level of management, not the first level of management. Can you talk about an example of someone who you or your team worked with that was able to overcome one or more of these misconceptions and scale successfully? Wow. So there's so many examples of these. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to share an example. Now, I do need to change the name for client confidentiality, I'm afraid. But they say it's a franchise and let's say the franchise is called Bill. I, I cannot share who it is. But Bill had a business that they wanted to franchise, but they had been told that it would cost them far too much money and they didn't really know how to do it. The fundamental challenge that they had in scaling up this franchise, however, wasn't the lack of money. It wasn't the complexity around franchising and it wasn't the challenges around legal agreements and registration with the Franchise Association and so on, because all of that could be handled by experts. The challenge was that they needed to shift their mindset from a mindset of of being a business operator to a mindset of being a franchise operator and a business owner. So they needed to go from what was effectively a franchisee doer to a franchisor doer and a franchisee owner. And the best part of that journey for me was when they started to hit what we call critical mass, which is where the franchise can pay for itself. Now, in this business, it was only at 20 units, which is actually quite a small franchise. But at that point, they were actually able to sell their original business to a new franchisee and become a full-time franchisor focused solely on scaling. Now, that's a business that I took right the way through from um, conception through to exit. And I managed to negotiate the sale of that business to a consolidator. So that's an example of a whole of life journey where we helped them from startup the way through to the end where they'd sold the business and retired. And it was fantastic to be a part of that journey, but more importantly, a part of that mindset shift from operator to owner. That does make such a big difference. And Carl, you've made such a big difference on my quest for the best today. I want to thank you so much for sharing about your dad as a inspiration about the idea that it's really human to human, not B2C or B2B, but really person to person that makes a difference. That networking happens even during pandemic lockdowns. The idea that most businesses fail to lack of a robust dream 
or plan or action or reviewing and adapting to current conditions. You talked about the example of Stuart with martial arts school and he being able to reconcile the personal ambitions with the business ambitions. And then also talking about the importance of this franchise that wanted to scale and really needed to make a mindset shift from operator to owner. So for these reasons and so many more, Carl, I want to thank you for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you, Bill. Now, Carl, before we say goodbye for now, where can we find out more about you and your work online? Sure. So the best place is www.carlreader.com. Carl, we're going to point to your personal website to buy your book, as well as all of your social media so that people can find out what's going on and keep up with you and the ideas that you're sharing to help entrepreneurs be more successful through your writing, through your speeches, and through your uh, consulting company. So Carl Reader, author of Boss It, Control Your Time your income, and your life. I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thanks, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.